the Pro Wrestling Bowl. 35 short stories, including Harley Race, Ricky Morton, Tracy Smothers, and Tim Storm. Along with 300 photos from the independent scene. Taken from Texas, Louisiana, Mississippi, and Alabama. Get your book today by going to WrestleVille.com or LanceByChance.com. WrestleVille, it's where wrestling lives. Are you a fan of pro wrestling, comedy, and combat sports? Then we have the podcast for you, because we cover that and much, much more. Do you like to debate with your friends? Do we have the perfect segment for you? It's the 531, where we take any given subject, break it down to a top five. From there, we debate it down to three, and then into that number one spot. If you want to get a hold of us, find us on our social media. Search Working Fans Podcast on any major social media platform. And if you want to find the podcast, search for us on any major podcast platform as well as YouTube. Working Fans Podcast. We put in the work so you don't have to. Welcome back for episode 163 of the Working Fans Podcast. As always, we are brought to you by the Pro Wrestling Vault, Volume 1, written by Vinny Barry, available at WrestleVille.com, where you can also get Lance by a Chance, Wrestling is a Von Eric. We are also brought to you by Super Vows and Pas de Deux, written by Kevin Kelton, available on Amazon.com. Where you can also pick up Ward Anderson's novel, I'll Be Here All Week, and All That's Left, as well as his special. Also on Amazon, you can get Blood and Fire, the unbelievable real-life story of wrestling's original chic, as well as How Not to Suck at Comedy by Pat Oates. We are brought to you by the great people over at Connecticut People Records, our wrestling commentary home of New Heights Wrestling. And today, Dave and AJ will be talking Bianca Belair dream matches, and afterwards, we will be getting to more from the Pro Wrestling Illustrated 2022 Readers All right, everybody. That's right. We got some Bianca Belair dream matches coming your way. AJ and I got all the list and all the excitement for you. Are you ready? I feel like, I feel like the first thing I should do is apologize to Montez Ford because my face was buried in Bianca's ass during that picture. So I apologize, Montez. <laughs> it wasn't my fault. Yeah, no apologies needed. Montez Ford does not view you as a threat, I'm sure. So, in <laughs> that note, like, to, no offense. Hey, neither am I. I don't think anyone on this show is. So, yeah. but hey, so you can make your apology up by giving us a good list. What do we got to start off here? Anthony Martinez, he's from the Mothership Facebook group. He's got Lita. Tori, because Tori would have been so good in this generation, I think that you are way overestimating how good Tori was, and you also spelt Tori's name wrong. <laughs> Bill Nakano, which would have been fantastic in this generation. Hmm. Mickey James, who actually also I think would be fantastic. And Jade Cargill. So overall, tremendous list. I just think you're looking at Tori Wilson. I assume he's talking about Tori Wilson. And Tori Wilson with rose-colored glasses. Hmm. Yeah, I wasn't a fan of either Tori. I know what you're talking about. There was the other Tori too yeah. that was in DX, but yeah. Neither one Unfortunately, did. both Tori and Stacey Keebler came up at the perfect time for them to be successful. Yeah, I mean, they had a look and everything too, and they were where they were, and everybody knew that. They just, yeah, not exactly in ring where I would put on for dream matches. There's way... And and I'm not taking away from Tori Wilson because she keeps herself in phenomenal shape. Oh, yeah. She is absolutely an outstanding athlete, but she would have been blown out of the water by Bianca Belair. Absolutely. Now, Randy Osga's brought us a couple friends here. He's got some lists here. Griff Bordigen. Hope I'm saying that right. He's got Jackie. He's got That's Trish Stratus. Trish Stratus will be a name to look out for. Britt Baker. I don't know if I gave you Britt Baker. I might keep an eye out for that. Lita. 
and Sable. I want to keep an eye on Lita also. Yeah, Lita. Actually, Lita's in almost all these lists you presented to me. So. I know you can't stand Lita because the way she broke Matt Hardy's heart, but you know I'm uh, still pissed. All these years later, yeah, I don't. I don't blame you. She do all right. Rule. So I've got Matt Damon's little brother Ryan Damon from the Mothership Facebook group, and he's got other than me, Charlotte Flair. We've got Bailey. We've got Beth Phoenix. We've got Oscar. And we've got EO Sky. Now, here's the funny thing. And a lot of these names are going to come up often. Charlotte, Bailey, Asuka. And they're all tremendous matches. But since we've seen them all 15 times each, mm-hmm. I'm not putting them on a fucking dream list match. <laughs> Next time, pay attention to dream list. Well, I mean. I'm not counting them. You can count them on a separate <laughs> list. But I refuse to actually count them towards the dream match. All right. We got Anthony Letera. He's got Trish Stratus, Lita, Britt Baker. The Virtuoso, and Jordan Grace. That is a hell of a list. Now, before we get started, well, wait a minute now, though. They've only had one match. Are they disqualified? And how many matches? Which one of those three that they named have they only had one match? It was a Bailey. Bailey, Charlotte, and Asuka. Yeah, I don't remember how many Asuka matches there were. But yeah, yeah. I, there has been plenty of all three of those, especially Bailey, who worked with basically a ton of time, and Charlotte. Yeah. And, and don't get me wrong, I appreciate it. It would be a great match to see again, but if that's your dream match, well, just tune into last year's Raw. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, like Sasha Banks, I think, has only wrestled her one time. Like she'll yeah, come which, up. which I can understand because maybe it's nice to see Charlotte come back. Right. But literally any week you can see any one of those three matches except for Charlotte who's too busy either fixing her boobs or hanging out with her husband to wrestle anymore. That's off to Charlotte Flair. <laughs> did you just read a list? No, no, I did. That was Jordan Grace was the last one. So we've got Don D. Ramirez from the Mothership Facebook group. We've got Jade Cargill. We've got Victoria who should come up often because Victoria is one of those female wrestlers who quite frankly was way ahead of the other people that she was working with at different times. Lita, Thunder Rosa, and Mickey James. So that's a great list. Good job, Don. Nice to be done. We also got another list from one of Randy's friends, Alex Lorenzo. He's got Lita and Trish, both making again. Victoria, once again. Mako Satamora. That's a good one. Nice. And Willow Nightingale. Nice list. Yeah. These guys are bringing what, so, so far, Mickey's showing up a lot. Yeah. That's, so far, uh, Randy's friends are killing it over here, too, by the way. <laughs> absolutely. I've got Paul Thomas from the Mothership Facebook group, or MFG, if you prefer. And they've got, Sorry. <laughs> yeah, they've got Trish Stratus, Ronda Rousey. Now, I do think that we haven't seen a lot of interaction between Ronda and... Yeah. It's, no, no, I wasn't going to say her name. I was going to say it's one of those matches where it would be so physical mm-hmm. that their chemistry might not be there, but I think it could be one hell of a just brawl. And then we've got Serena Deeb, who finally yeah. shows up. We've got Mickey James again. And then I like this one. And I'm going to tell you why I like this one. Because they put a reason for it. Mm-hmm. They put a proper build to a mania match between Charlotte Flair and Bianca Belair. Now, the reason why is because they have not built it properly in the past. And I could see where you would say that. I'm still not counting Charlotte, but I could at least see your reasoning behind it. <laughs> well, the man who's had already had his friends kill it comes here himself. The big dog. Working Fans Podcast, number one fan, Randy Osga. He's got Bianca Belair versus Jay Cargo. He's got versus Britt Baker versus Roxanne Perez. Camille, that's a good one. Physically, they match up very well. And Tessa Blanchard 
a name we haven't heard too much in recent times. You talk about somebody who has been taken out of the spotlight. Tessa Blanchard, if we talked three years ago, was on the tip of everybody's tongue as the best female, young female wrestler in the world. And because of some of her accused actions and because of pulling herself out, quite frankly, in some areas, she's now on basically a forgotten entity. Well, I guess I'd be similar to her dad. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it's always not on too many lists either, unfortunately. The Blanchards know how to get themselves some heat, unfortunately. Absolutely. If only she got a little ta- Magnum TA in her. We've got Jonathan Meisner. He's got Bull Nakano back again. We've got Medusa. How is Medusa only now coming up? <laughs> I don't know. Literally, literally the best female of her generation has now come up one time. Congratulations. We've got Serena Deeb. We've got Gail Kim. How has Gail Kim not come up before? Mm. And then Jonathan Meisner has himself. Okay. (laughs) Well, he had some good lists going there. Like I said, Montez Ford, I apologize. These (laughs) lists might not go the way that we want them to sometimes. Oh, my goodness. All right. I got Daniel Backley from Cage My IQ. He's got, I can't believe he wants to face her. He does not. He's got Sasha Banks, who again, we said only went one time. Shayna Baszler, Becky Lynch, Becky Lynch and Asuka in a triple threat match. That that has not happened. That has not happened. (laughs) And what was the other one? Bailey. <laughs> All right, before I say this, I'm going to preface this by saying I absolutely love Daniel Backley. He is a very knowledgeable wrestling fan, big supporter of the show consistently, but that is one of the worst lists I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> Did you not like Shayna Baszler? Oh, yeah. No, I think Shayna Baszler would be great. We didn't see that at all in NXT. <laughs> All right, moving on. All right, so AJ's got a real problem with a couple things you need to realize. Matches we've seen, <laughs> and he's not really a fan of the Jake rule. He tolerates it. <laughs> yes. Sean McKinney from the MFG, and he's got fabulous moolah. I can't, well, I guess I can believe that this would come up only one time <laughs> due to the fact that it is such a bygone era and the fact that she's gotten some bad press over the years. But fabulous moolah, May Young, which I think would have been an interesting one. I hope they mean in their prime. And not the 80-year-olds. <laughs> I want to um, think of that hair whip at 80-something years. Yeah, that'd be great. Here's one that I'm surprised hasn't come up yet. Awesome Kong. That would be a great matchup. Wendy Richter and then Jade Cargill. Jade Cargill. Sign me up. You know who's coming up next? Charlie Hill. Charlie, don't fuck around Hill. He's got Bertha Faye. I love you. A real song. May Young. Sensational Sherry. Another good one there. Trish Stratus and a name that AJ wants to hear more often, Medusa. Yes. Now I've got Andrew Betts because I apparently am only doing the, oh, no, no, no. He's from the Booking the Territory Facebook group. Woo, thank goodness. And he's got Bailey. He's going back to book the territory. Asuka, Io Shirai, Dakota Kai, and Piper Niven. That's a good one. Piper Niven is actually on the roster and has already also wrestled a few times. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I forgot. Yeah, do drop that. Yes. (laughs) However, if we could put her back to Piper Niven's original style and make her Piper Niven again, that would be more entertaining. Well, I'll tell you what I got next. I got the big dog himself, Pat Oates. Is Is that the man who opened up for Tommy Davidson last weekend? Yeah, while he was... Go ahead, Joe. Oh. Why don't you bring that up? Because he sent us this list while watching Tommy Davidson. It was during the show, and he said that he was watching Tommy Davidson, but he was thinking of Bianca. There you go. Well, I mean, oh. I, 
Uh, <laughs> I, I, I would think of Bianca when I'm watching Tommy Davidson also, even though Tommy Davidson's an underrated comedian. So Pat Oates gave us Mickey James, Jazz. That's a good one. Jay Cargo, Gail Kim, and I don't know about this one. Santina Morella. <laughs> Former battle that's, runner. <laughs> that's what I like about Pat. He's willing to dig deep and really come out with one that nobody's going to expect. The only list I've got left is myself. I don't know how many lists you have left. All right, I got two more plus me. So let me wrap these two up then. We got our very own producer, Joe. He's got Athena. I'm actually surprised that hasn't happened yet. Camille, Roxana Perez, Hmm. Medusa, Deanna Perrazzo. I knew my man Joe would come through there. And by the way, Medusa now has three votes. Dave Fabe. It's got Bull McConnell. Nice. Julia Hart. Oh, man. Martha Hart. Jimmy Hart. <laughs> and me. <laughs> well, he started, started, off. <laughs> started off really good. <laughs> and it just went downhill. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Before I give my list, let's do a little update here. Believe it or not, Mickey and Trish are actually tied for the lead with five. Mm. They've got Jade Cargill and Bull Nakano are tied with four. Okay. Britt Baker, Lita, and Medusa all have three. Beth Phoenix has two, and none of those other schmucks have any. Okay. <laughs> so I do have Medusa. Yeah. I thought that her combination of speed and everything would actually mix very well with her. I have also the former Mrs. Kensuke Sasaki on my list. Oh, I knew you would. Yes. A lot of people may not remember her, but her style was absolutely fantastic. I've also got Bull Nakano, Trish Stratus, because I love me some Stratus faction. And then I also have Lita. Well, I'm going to make make sure Mickey James makes this list. I'm going to definitely go with Bull Nakano. I will also put Medusa on there. I'm going to throw in just to be a little bit indifferent there. No one's going to have this. Indifferent or a little bit different? A little bit different. Max the Impaler. (laughs) No one's going to have that, but I'll have that. And just for giggles, let's see. I'll mix it up. I'm trying to mix it up because I don't want to. You're trying to make it it so Trish doesn't win. It's fine. (laughs) Oh, I I got to put Trish. There you go. Yeah, I can't have Trish. I'm literally sitting here going, how is he not saying Trish? Yeah, I I thought you were going to go with Dark Journey or Woman, but that's fine. (laughs) Sarah, <laughs> yeah all right what's our final votes now give me your top five so with your vote trish did get the most with seven yep mickey james and bull nakano tied for the two spot with six each they okay. were all tied with trish up until your vote let's give trish an automatic buy and let's yeah. count the rest we got mickey and bull mickey, and who mickey are and, bull, and then medusa's actually got five now so yeah. she's actually now in the number four spot and then Lita and Jade are tied with four of them. Okay. All right. So let's, we'll get rid of Lita and Jade then, and we'll concentrate on Mickey, Bull, and who was the other one? I'm sorry. The other, uh, Mickey, Bull, and then Lita and Jade. Oh, okay. Oh, so Mickey and Bull were tied, and Lita and Jade were tied. Yep, and Medusa's in between the four of them. That's what I was getting at, Medusa. Okay, so Medusa, Mickey, and Bull. Okay, so let's break this down so we can have some people competing here with Trish. This is like we really got four left really going at it. Let's do this bracket style. Let's talk about Trish versus Bull Nakano. Who makes the better match for Bel Air? Out of Bull, wait a minute, out of Bull and, sorry, I'm literally getting texts from my wife at the same time because she can just sense that I'm doing something that's not her. But 
between Bull and Trish. And Trish, oh God, who makes the better style? I hate to say it, but Bull. I think you're right. If we're going by style, I didn't know we were going by style here. Yeah, Bull's what makes match. a better match? What's that's it? No, 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 no. What makes a better match? And what makes a better style? Because the best match of all time is fucking Hogan versus Andre. That match sucked ass. <laughs> but what makes the best match when it comes to draw? Trish Stratus and Be- Bianca Belair. Right. That's gonna draw the house. Right. Yeah. What's the more entertaining ring match? You think Bull Nakano? I would ra- I, well, personally, I'm like you. I'd rather watch Bull Nakano. Yeah, I think it'd be more. But that's not going to make the money if you put Trish versus anybody on this list. That's where you're going to draw the house. What are our other two candidates here again? Medusa? I mean, by by that logic, Jade Cargill versus Bianca Belair is probably going to be a stinker too because Jade's just not ready to wrestle at that level. But people are going to pay to see that because they're going to get to see two great athletes and they want to see Jade against somebody who's as strong as she is. Well, if we're going by the cat, the idea of drawing money, Trish has yeah. got to be number one. And then yeah. I would say Mickey is number two. Yeah, Mickey or Medusa. Medusa in her prime would have drawn, would have printed money also. Yeah, no doubt. So I guess what we're saying here too is like, so Trish is the draw. And by going by Alex Snow's logic, the business of wrestling, that's what makes I, sense as the number one match. Yeah, and I, but I think we have to look at the total picture. Don't get me wrong. That's the key element. That's the total picture. But I think Trish can have a good enough match and can wrestle right. well enough where it's going to be an entertaining match also. Right. It's not going to be Car- Yeah, Jade Cargill is going to draw also because people are going to want to see that. But I don't think she can actually wrestle She's not yet. She's going to have as entertaining a match as any of these other people we're talking about. Exactly. So Jade's got to be the first one off the island, in my opinion. Well, she wasn't even up for grabs, so that's okay. <laughs> well, I thought we were taking her because she was tied with Lita. Sorry. Okay. Well, we've lost track. <laughs> so as far as I know, it's Lita. Sorry, not Lita. It was Mickey, Medusa, and Trish. And there was one other one that was tied and here. Yeah. So yeah, that's it just why. threw me off because we were going with the four, and then you said bracket style, and I thought you were including the other ones that were close also. No, no, because usually we just go with three, so it just threw me off. Oh, we had so many ties, that's why. Yeah. We, so I mean, I mean, if we're going with three, quite frankly, we shouldn't even count Medusa. We should it should just be Trish, Bull, and Mickey, and that should be the only three because even though they tied for second place, that's still three. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, too, this is really tight because, I mean, I think any of these women right here are some of the best in the world can have talented matches. Yeah, absolutely. I'm like you. I would rather see Bull Nakano. I think that it would be a hell of a match. Mickey and Trish basically wrestle the same damn match. Mm-hmm. So and I love Mickey, and Mickey's got the longevity, but I still think there's something to that run with Trish at this point right now. Well, and I, like I said, I still find their their wrestling styles to be so similar mm-hmm. that to me, it's 1A and 1B watching them wrestle. Is there a difference in this? This is going to be a little separate here. But what's the? is there a difference here? If you're making a wrestling Hall of Fame and we're talking about who's the bigger star, same two people. Is Trish a bigger star than Mickey? But also, does Trish go in, the, in your Hall of Fame before Mickey? And if so, why? So here's the incredible thing. Even with the longevity that Mickey James has had and with the ability that she has, I still think if you go out there into public and talk about Trish, Trish Stratus compared to Mickey James, more people still recognize Trish Stratus than they do Mickey James. I still mm. think she's the bigger star in public. And that might just be my opinion. And unfortunately for Bull Nakano, as much as we love Bull Nakano, he's not, she's not uh, even close to being on the same par as these two. No, 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 no. And Medusa. Same with Medusa. Yeah. 
unfortunately, Medusa's in that time period, even though she was a game changer, she's in that time period right before Trish Stratus, where women's wrestling meant little to nothing to the wrestling world. And I hate to say that. For throwing the belt in the trash can. Exactly. That's literally, uh, more people can remember that moment than any match that she had, except for maybe wrestling Bull Nakano. Right. Well, all right. So this week... I think we're going to say, we're going to give, I think we'll give Medusa that number three spot, Mickey the number two spot, and Trish Stratus taking it home for number one. We're continuing with more of the 2022 Readers Poll, and we're going to kind of breeze through this because we've had issues with this poll, and this week, the PWI 500 came out, and that's going to be the next segment we're going to do because that's arguably wrestling fans like one of their favorite segments out of the year yeah i used to love to see who actually got number 500 i remember the year duke drosy got it and all of a sudden was in the wwe did you see this list at all that came out i have not i wanted to be blind so you get my real reaction (laughs) okay (laughs) so we're gonna jump around here a little bit and question 33 we're gonna skip 22 or 32 what are you sick to death of witnessing in televised wrestling? Oh, I got it. <laughs> the fucking spot where everybody takes a, every promotion does this, the stupid ass dive. And then we go to the commercial where everybody's out on the floor or something happens. And it's that break in the action. It's so repetitive. It's been done to death. I realize why they do it because they want you to think that, Oh, you're not missing anything. We're not doing the picture in picture, but I just hate it. I hate that. And also, this might not be a TV thing, but I hate the the near fall one, two, ah, ah, shit, you know, like, fuck out of here. <laughs> I, I don't mind the near fall if it's towards the end of the match. I don't like the near fall when they do it like two minutes into the match. Like, we, we're all sitting there going, ooh, thought he had him. Okay, a little plug here. I don't mean to cut you off. I want to say this before I forget it. You'll understand and you'll agree with this too. Rip Rogers, who I interviewed last night, coming up here very soon, whenever we get edited. Next Not week. Even, next if week. If you listen to this podcast-wise, we have John Arezzi this week and Rip Rogers next week. Well, there you go. But Rip had a thing. He said that Dick the Bruiser, he wouldn't even make a cover until he was about ready to win the match. All right? So- I agree with that 100%. One of my biggest pet peeves is all the false finishes, and I hate people kicking out of each other's finishers. When they first did it in the late 90s during the Attitude Era, I understood what they were doing. They were trying to make it more tantalizing, make people sit on the edge of their seats. But now we've gotten to a point where it takes 15 finishers. How is it a finisher if it takes 15 of them to end the match? Something else we talked about. (laughs) Well, all right. Rapid camera cuts got 52% of the vote. Oh, yeah. People hate that. Augmented reality, CGI, I got 33% of the vote. Mm. Long promo segments got 33% of the vote. Uh. And outside interference got 32% of the vote. Hey, I want to take, take, actually, I want to ask this to AJ for a second. The camera cuts. There are people that have a lot of problem with this. Me and Joe know someone in particular who does have a problem with this. And I'm taking this up with AJ because I'm just curious. AJ, do you even notice these things? No, I couldn't give a shit about the camera cuts. Me neither, but it is a problem with people. I just want to know Uh. that. So it's very- I, I will tell you one of the things I'm also going to stick up for something here. A long promo when done correctly is a great okay. can be a great promo. We also have to remember people's attention spans are not what they once were. Hence people enjoying TikTok and stuff that lasts like 30 seconds. People don't have the attention span anymore to watch a long promo. So I don't blame the long promo. I blame you morons for not having the attention span to actually listen to them. That's right. The fans. Fuck you. Uh, I mean, you great fans. All right. Subscribe. So question- <laughs> Question 34, which wrestler has the best intro music? Mm. First one that pops in my head, and there may be others, but just 
today is Edge. Wow. I love, I love Edge. What, what about Jericho? Ah, Jericho's yeah. good. Everybody sings along. Yeah. Jungle Boys is another good one that really catches. Actually, you know, a lot of people were mad about it, but I actually really like Orange Cassidy's new one with Jefferson Starship. I just, <laughs> I think that's a badass song. CM Punk got 19% of, of the course. vote. Chris Jericho got 12% of the vote. Roman Reigns got 6%. Good one. Cole, 4%. Cody Rhodes, 4%. Kenny Omega, 4%. And others got 51%. You don't like Adam Cole's new music. I do like the fact, and maybe this is what people do, where he has says he's he, Adam Cole was amazing at hitting that. times that out. Ooh, yeah. yeah. So, but actual song. I will say this. There is a slight chance that we might never hear Cult of Personality again. So <laughs> now question 35, which wrestler has the worst entrance music? Ooh. Ooh. Who, who do I hate? Who bugs it? Yeah, I'm out. I don't like Braun Strowman's. <laughs> <laughs> not only do I not like the music, but I don't like the fact that it reminds me that he's coming. <laughs> Yeah, I'm trying to think. I know Who's Dave that? hates Randy Orton's. It's fine. I don't care about Randy Orton's one way or the other, honestly. It just doesn't. Yeah, A lot of the music I don't like, for me personally, I just tend to tune out. I don't think I can think of something so bad off the top of my head where I'm just mad at. I do have a song. Go ahead, though. Roman Reigns got 7%. Ow, talk about Corbin. polarizing. <laughs> Happy Corbin got 4%. MJF got 4%. Sami Zayn got 4%. Others got eighty one percent, so I don't know about. I actually it. like Sammy's. So <laughs> you know what, Fog, I do like. By the way, and then we could just take a second. Area. I'm in love with Joe Henry. <laughs> Aren't we all? He has entrance music. Yes. I would like to say they don't make entrance music like they used to, like the old WCW Slam Jam album. To yeah. me, that was when it was true magic. I went on a Joe Henry deep dive a little bit today in the sense I saw if people haven't seen it. They did a little video last night of him coming to Impact. But how they started is basically there's this guy in a hospital. And I was like, I was fast forward to commercials. I stopped like, wait. What the fuck am I watching here? And they're parodying the the brawl in AEW too. If you don't pick up on it right away, they're like, "Dad's been attacked. Somebody threw a chair. You can see the bite marks." <laughs> now I'm like, oh, "Okay, I see what you're doing." And I'm like, "Wait, he's saying something. What's he saying?" And he say, and then he goes, "Joe Henry." And then Joe walks in, and he's got the boombox, and he's like, "Say his name." And he, it, it's just funny. It's good and. Like, when you start seeing this guy's career, if you go, like, YouTube stuff, like, he's done so many videos like this. Like, there's one with Drew McIntyre, I recommend, you see, where he's feuding with Drew in Insane Championship Wrestling. And he's like, you know how annoying it is when someone goes all about themselves all the time, like Drew does? Drew this, Drew. This is what it sounds like. And it's basically the blue song. It's like, I'm Drew, 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 Drew. And it's these little Drew ball, like Drew guys that start popping up. And then there's that line where it's like, I've seen my girlfriend and see and it's like basically his girlfriend, but she has a Drew mask on and it's very ridiculous, very funny. And check out Joe Henry. He also, yeah. uh, by the way, he also can work. He's actually a hell of a wrestler. He is a hell of a worker, but continuing on. <laughs> Question 36. In your opinion, which stipulation or match presentation is the most overused in 2022? Mm. We're looking at you, AEW. We love AEW, but they abuse these things. To me, it's the falls count anywhere. 
I'm not a big Falls Count Anywhere person, and I include in that like the Stadium Stampede and all that different stuff where they're just wrestling everywhere but the ring. To me, wrestling should happen in the ring, and very seldom it should mean something special if you actually leave the ring. So overuse stipulation? What's the... Okay, I'll give you the answers, and then you guys can talk about it from there. So a qualifier match got 40%. A multi-person match got 22%. Death match got 13%. Ladder match got 12%. Others got 13%. Interesting. I still really enjoy a good ladder match, but yeah, there are probably way more ladder matches than there should be nowadays. I dislike the table match more than I dislike the ladder match. We ain't seen yeah. a lot of them, though. Yeah, but you do see more ladder matches now than you do table matches. Yeah. Now, on, on the flip side of that, question 37, which lesser used match stipulation would you like to see more often? You know, we, we've been through it all now, you know? Judy Bagwell on a pole. <laughs> Best two out of three falls got 47%, and I think that's a good one. Three stages of hell got 19%. Strat match got 13 and others got 21%, with other vote getters being an Iron Man match, a scaffold match. I got this blood match. I got a couple for you. Fucking nobody's bringing back the scaffold match, guys. <laughs> you fucking uh, barbarians. Get out of here. <laughs> but Jimmy oh. Guevara doing a scaffold match if they yeah, do. Yeah. I, I- Sammy versus Darby. Match. Oh my God. Sammy Dar- uh, I would say here's two things I'd like to see more of. It'd be fun. NXT UK was doing this, but I wouldn't mind seeing him introducing it once in a while a little more. The round system, like we had with Cup, that the uh, UK thing was doing a little bit. Did you see the can, shitty can, one can they did do- on NXT with Wesley and that guy that comes out oh. with Carmelo? Yeah. Oh. No, no. Not, not fucking boxing rounds. Yeah, like, yeah not a boxing rounds match. Johnny um, B. Bad and Doc Page did that too. That was awful. Yeah, yeah no. an English. He, Dave's talking about an English style yeah. match where Queensberry. they have the Marcus yeah. of Queensberry rules. Yeah. Yeah. The other one, I would say, too, once in a while, bring it back. A really good, maybe, title feud or something like that. The old best of seven. Nice. Or I like that. Five. You got two guys that can really go and put I on mean, great doing, different style matches. They're doing a best of three right now down in NXT with, what's his name, Axiom and Nathan Frazier. Oh, yeah, they're yeah, actually yeah. Doing that best. They can go, yeah. Absolutely. I'll tell you one match which should never, ever, ever come back, and that's the Coal Miners Glove match. That should never <laughs> come back. <laughs> question 39 who is the best wrestling commentator in 2022 and for the sake of fairness me and dave are not including our names on this list Uh, i actually was gonna vote for you one of the two of you guys i was gonna toss a coin up though because you guys are so good commentator right now but mara would make my list as far as wrestling goes i like mara a lot 2022 though 2022, right? Yeah. Yeah. That, by that logic, we might as well just go Gordon solely if you're going with Morrow because they're both no. calling the same amount of matches. Very close to the same thing. Yes. It's not Jim Ross anymore, unfortunately. I know. I still love some Jim. No, it's hard when you have to wipe the drool off his face every time, and he can't say a sentence that actually means anything to do with the match. It's hard to still vote for him. He still. <laughs> He'll let you know what he thinks sucks. <laughs> yeah, sure. absolutely. And sometimes it's even what's going on in the ring. Yeah, he's trying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I'll tell you right now. This this is funny. This is not my choice. But I have to say, if we keep seeing this version of the guy who did Clash at the Castle, Michael you're, you're, Cole, re- you're reading my you are reading my mind on that one. From <laughs> worst to first, Michael Cole might end up fucking making this list. In the meantime, I, I know everybody's got a hard on for Excalibur. I like him enough. 
I'm going to go a little different. They do, AJ. <laughs> Let's see who is this. I'm going to say my personal favorite, though, is, and I don't. I usually like the play-by-play guys. I'm like, AJ, I'm going to go with a color guy. I'm going to go with Taz. I actually think Taz, everything he's doing with breaking it down and just the way he fits it, I like Taz a lot right now. Pat McAfee. Uh, yeah, that's that's For 2022, Pat McAfee. I absolutely love Taz also. He's the reason why I listen to the broadcasts in AEW. Him, when they have William Regal stop by or Jericho stop that's by, great. that's great too. I think Excalibur is overrated, and I absolutely love Pat McAfee, so I'm going to go with Pat McAfee. Pat got? McAfee got 23%. Wow. Excalibur got 16%. Okay. Jim Ross got 14%. Tony Schiavone got 9%. And others got 38%. Others being Michael Cole, Kevin Kelly, Ian Riccoboni, and Taz. <laughs> there's, a, there's a lot of people that just still love Jim Ross out there and are not actually being honest with themselves. I don't think he's as bad as some people say either, though. I think he's just somewhere in between. I, think I, he I don't think he's knowledge. I don't think he's bad. I think he just doesn't focus on the match anymore. It's I don't think he's what Yeah, what? I mean, listen, I'm not saying, <laughs> I'm not saying that, <laughs> that, you know, like he shouldn't still somehow put it over. But let's be honest, he also comes from a time period where the announcer is supposed to be credible, and I don't think he's enjoying what he's seeing. That's Yeah, yeah he does not give a shit about putting over the AEW product. Whereas <laughs> Tony Schiavone's a little bit different. Unless you're John Moxley. Yeah. Or somebody he really likes or something. You can tell. Then it comes out. He even said one time, I'll take you back, it was Serena Deeb and Thunder Rosa. It was one of the first times Serena Deeb had been on an AEW broadcast, maybe the first one, and they locked up, and they had this really intense lockup. And JR and Tony were both like, whoa, what a lockup. And JR's like, you don't see even anyone doing it. And JR's like, I better not get myself in trouble. <laughs> like, you can tell. Like, oh, yeah, I'm going to enjoy this and put this over a little more, you know. Yeah, and I think that is definitely part of it. I don't think he's enjoying the product that he's watching, and that definitely affects what you're seeing. All right, now question 40, and to avoid a conflict of interest, we will not mention our names in this, but if you listen to wrestling podcasts, which one is your favorite? Oh, right now? Hmm. I'm probably really enjoying William Regal's podcast at the moment. Although I go back and forth with so many different ones. You literally just keep saying the same thing I'm going to say. <laughs> Jericho, if he has a wrestling guest on, does enjoy that. I'll tell you what has some interesting takes. If you want to hear like just like their stuff on like today's wrestling, they're pretty, I think they're pretty I, I think I think you're going to steal it from me again. No, no, no. It was Conan keeping it 100. Him and Disco. Oh. They definitely will bring some interesting takes on what they like and don't like. They give credit to AEW, WWE when they think they deserve it and they're not afraid to criticize. So I, li- I like them a lot. So one of the ones that I actually like, and Dave actually t- turned me on to this one, Freddie Prince Jr. Oh, he, Freddie he, Prince Jr.'s take on wrestling is very interesting. He looks at it from a lot of different angles and actually breaks down what it takes to actually be able to run the show instead of just the wrestling itself. Talks about everything, from, and he doesn't pull any punches. He's not out there to bury people, but he doesn't pull any punches and talks about it with great honesty. So I like Freddie Prince Jr. also. Well, Jim Cornette got 15% of the vote. I can't listen to him. Busted Open got 9%. 83 weeks got 4%. Oh. And others got 72%, which is Talk is Jericho, AEW Unrestricted, and Jobber Tears podcast. It's interesting that uh, out of all Conrad's podcasts, 83 weeks is the one that got the recognition in there. I can't believe that many people still enjoy Jim Cornette. 
<laughs> I think Jim's got a lot of very interesting takes, and I enjoy Jim, but it's just very long of a podcast to me. Yeah. So, you know. It's very long, and he has a tendency of going off on diatribes that I don't necessarily need to hear. If he focused more on just the wrestling and cut down how long it takes, I think that that would be great. <laughs> now we're going to do this rapid fire guys because we have okay. a bunch of the same questions so okay. this is where do you see viewership numbers of these particular programs a year from now tell me what you think and then i'll tell you what the people said where do you see raw viewership numbers a year from now under the current direction we have they're going to struggle a bit with monday night football they're going to do okay but then going to wrestlemania season you're going to peak how far right, what do you know. say aj there's two times they struggle. Monday Night Football is always a big thing that goes up against them. And then, of course, there's always the dog shows that run against them. But other than that, I think that they're on the upper track. All right. So you're saying they're up about the same, said 34%, slightly lower, 31%, significantly lower, 22 slightly higher, 10 significantly higher, 3 This was obviously taken at a different time. Now, where do you see the viewership numbers of SmackDown a year from now? That's a little trickier just because it's network TV. I'll say slightly up. The viewership is going to be slightly up for SmackDown. I think that it's going to continue to go. I think that they're growing a good product there once again. But I don't think it's going to be a large increase. I think it's just going to be a slight one along with the momentum that is uh, SmackDown. All right. About the same. Got 36%. Slightly lower. 29 significantly lower 15 slightly higher 15 significantly higher five where do you see dynamite numbers a year from now and you got to keep in mind they did this early in the year i think after the whole punk debacle that could really change people's minds although they did just put up a huge number this week yeah, they're putting a huge number right now. We're going into, but there's the controversy and everything. And we're going into Arthur Ashe. Yeah. I'm going to say, I'll be optimistic and say slightly up, but I could see them staying the same. They take 10 to, they go to about a million, then they drop between nine and eight, and then they go back to a million. We'll just see where it goes, but I'll say slightly up. I'm going to go slightly up also, and the reason why is because no matter what product they're putting out on Wednesdays, and they are still putting out a good product, they don't have any competition on Wednesday nights. There's no wrestling on Wednesday nights except for them. That's real competition to them. Slightly higher got the most votes. Some people said significantly higher and about the same got 16%. So people were very optimistic for Dynamite. Where do you see NXT a year from now? Oh, that's interesting. Only because of the logos change and everything like that that they're doing now. The timing in this could have been more interesting. Wrestling on a whole is just doing a lot better right now, I think. I think creative-wise, everything's going well. So I'm just going to say straight across the board, I'm going to be optimistic and say everything is going to be slightly up and we're going to be in for a good year with pro wrestling. Yeah, everybody, NXT is going up too. There is a, some people that have been struggling. Impact did their worst number in like three years. They did yeah. 60,000 last week, which is not a lot of viewership. However, they did add Joe Hendry to it this week, so should double. <laughs> About the same, got the most votes, and then it went significantly lower, slightly lower. And this is at a time when 2.0 was at its height. So like 14% said slightly higher, 3% said significantly higher. I think if you ask those same people this week, I bet the results would be flipped. AJ was just speaking about impact. Where do you see viewership numbers of impact a year from now? Unfortunately, they seem to be going in a down direction. Yeah, because here's the problem too. All those other companies we said that are doing well, those are all the major programs that are out there too. So then you do have to tendency of wrestle fatigue and stuff too so impact wrestling is still on a network that is harder to find for people and i think people just 
are so watching so much wrestling with everything up so far that they're watching so much wrestling during the week that they don't really have to work. They don't want to work to find it on a Thursday night. Yep. Yeah. Now, most people voted about the same, slightly higher was just below that. And nobody really thought that it would get much lower. But Impact has always had this thing where they kind of go up, kind of go down. And we're going to end on question 48 because it's going to go into next week's segment. And this was before the PWI 500 came out. So before it was released this week, who would you have thought would have been on it as number one on it? Interesting. So I know who was number one. But I don't, but I would guess Roman Reigns. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of hard to really just disagree with the year Roman has been the champ and the man for a couple of years. So I don't know who these fans would have voted. That's a tough one. But like Roman's the one who deserves it. Roman Reigns got 52% of the vote. CM Punk got 17% of the vote. Adam Page, 10%. Kazuchika Okada, 9%. And others got 12%. Others being Lashley, MJF, and Brian Danielson. Can we agree that CM Punk does not deserve 17% of the vote? <laughs> well, he was injured, right, for most of the stuff. I mean, I guess it depends when this came out. If he had just won the belt... Even when he was wrestling without injury, he was not wrestling at the level of the CM Punk that we're used to. He's certainly not the best in the world. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure some people still believe it because they're idiots, but he is certainly not, and he doesn't deserve it. All right, well, we're going to go Jake Rule on this. I got one more for you. Who will be number one in the 2022 Women's 150? That has not been released yet. Okay, interesting. Right now, I think I'm going to go with Bianca Belair. I, I, I want to go... In a different direction. I want to say Britt Baker, but I think that Bianca Belair is going to take it. Bianca yeah. got 41%, Thunder Rosa 19%, Britt Baker 16 Becky Lynch 6 and others got 16 Deanna Perrazzo, Charlotte Flair, and Sayuri. I don't know why. As much as I like Thunder Rosa, I didn't have faith in the wrestling fans to pull her through. And I even debated that in my head before I said it. Later on in this episode for audio, you're going to get our John Arezzi interview, which in real time we will be recording tonight at six. And next week, remember, we got five, three, one Tony Storm dream matches. And we will also have audio from the Rip Rogers interview which Dave recorded yesterday. You do not want to miss the audio next week. Not that you don't want to miss this week's, but you don't want to miss next week's audio with Rip Rogers. When you talk about a character from a bygone era and someone who's just going to tell it how it is, Rip Rogers is going to be the, one of the most entertaining interviews we've ever done. I've got to still listen to it and see what needs to be edited out, but I heard it was quite the interview. He might have yeah, called Matt, me a alleged sex offender, but that's fine. <laughs> he called himself. Matt, Matt, so, <laughs> Matt, matter of fact, for a little bit extra money, you might be able to get those behind-the-scene clips at some point. <laughs> Guys, is there anything else you want to talk about before we go out today? No, I think we're good. Although, there is a little bit of buzz going around tonight that apparently that Logan Paul might show up to SmackDown and pick a fight with Roman Reigns. So, see if that happens. Also, Joe, is there a possibility, and this is just something thrown out there, should we do a special episode, maybe at some point, the best number 500s, and to see if any of them have actually succeeded at any point in the future? Maybe they started off as a 500, and 10 years later, maybe they ended up as a number 10. That is an interesting list. We could probably work that into this PW500 segment, because obviously we're not going to do like we did with the reader's poll and go through the poll and go through all yeah. 500. We'll probably discuss sections of the 500. 
we we'll do it over a couple week period and we'll bring you different aspects of the pwi 500 i'm really excited to check it out i just noticed it in my kindle this morning nice as always guys thank you for joining us and we will be back with you next week we want to take a minute to thank our newest sponsor on the show 482 designs that is f-o-u-r the numbers 82 designs 482 designs you can find them on facebook by looking up f-o-u-r 82 designs at f-o-u-r 82 designs on instagram and if you want to email them Go to four82designs at gmail.com. Pretty soon, we're going to be rolling out some high-quality T-shirts and stickers that were just done by the sponsor. Please check them out for any of your screen printing needs. First off, it's light years better than our first one. Also, we divide the washer and dryer. They look good, and they're good quality. Nice. And those stickers before Paco chewed them up were amazing. And luckily, we'll be getting some more in, hopefully, before we start selling them to fans. But that's F-O-U-R-8-2 Designs. Thank you for joining us for today's interview. As always, we are brought to you by the Pro Wrestling Vault Volume 1 and Lance by Chance, written by Vinny Barry. We are brought to you by Blood and Fire, the unbelievable real-life story of wrestling's original chic by Brian R. Solomon. The great people over at our commentary home of New Heights Wrestling. And today, we are excited to bring you today's guest. He has been a radio host, podcast host, worked in the music industry, worked for his favorite baseball team, worked in and around the wrestling industry, is a wrestling convention pioneer. And let me take a deep breath, because if all that isn't enough, he has wrestled Dusty Rhodes. You have heard him on WCSD 660 AM, WNYG. And today he's on the WFP. You might know him as John Alexander or Big Pork Barbecue. Read Matt Memories to find out more about that. My Wildlife and Professional Wrestling, Country Music, and with the Mets. Everyone, please welcome John Arezzi. John, I hope I did you justice with that intro. Yeah, who's the cat in the background there? Oh, that's Thor. She's got to get in every shot. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah, no, no, very cool. That was a great intro. The Big Pork Barbecue is certainly a story for the book given to me by Power Twins in Sunny Beach in Southeast Asia in 1993 when we we're on tour there. So there's an interesting story behind that that's in the book. And We'll, uh, we'll leave it at that. Uh, <laughs> great to be here with you guys. Thank you for inviting me. Thank you very me. much. Why don't we just start like from the beginning? Like any of us, like most of us start off as just fans. What were you a fan of? What enticed you about this industry? You know, just give us a start. Fan watching it since I was seven years old in the mid 60s. I fell in love with it. Fell in love with my favorite wrestler, Bruno San Martino. Back then, Spiro Sarion, Antonio Pliese, back in those days. And I always wanted to go see it live. I wasn't allowed to because you had to be 14 or over in New York. When I went to my first live show, August 30th, 1971 at Madison Square Garden, I got bitten by the bug big time. And before you know it, you know, my other favorite wrestler at the time was Fred Blassie. And Fred was a uh, baby face on the West Coast, heel on the East Coast, had an incredible life story and coming back from injuries and he just fascinated me so i i decided to start a fan club for him so in december 71 i was able to get a permission slip 
That's what you did back then, signed by Blassie. It was authenticated by Jeff Walton, who ran the fan club before me, and he had given it up because he was working for Mike LaBelle in the Los Angeles Olympic Auditorium, and started the fan club for Blassie at the age of 14 years old and put out a little fan bulletin called The King of Men, and it won Fan Club of the Year in 1974, and I kind of started taking pictures at ringside, taking uh, eight millimeter films at ringside as a 15 year old uh, on and on and on. And then I bullshitted my way into a photographer's chair at Madison Square Garden with Bill Apter, George Napolitano next to me. And at 16, 17 years old, I was a uh, ringside photographer at the garden and started working for Ring Wrestling Magazine and started writing stories for all the wrestling magazines as a teenager. I started that way. I could go on and on and on. So I'll let you guys... I know Joe's going to ask him a question, but there's something you said there. I'm just curious. You're obviously at that point, it seems like you're a go-getter. You got a real do-it-yourself attitude because you're just making all this stuff happen. But what I'm curious is somewhere in that moment, you're at Madison Square Garden. You know, you're taking pictures. Do you take a moment to take a deep breath and go, holy crap, look what am I doing? Or is it just... You're so busy in the moment at the time. No, it's always, what am I doing? Because I, 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 you know, I think it's a little bit of a, you know, have a something wrong with me inside my brain that I just never had any, if I wanted to go after something, I went after it. And I was a really shy kid. I mean, in high school, junior high, I hated school. I didn't talk to anybody. I sat in the back of the class with my coat on. I didn't have a girlfriend in high school. I didn't go to my prom. I didn't do anything. I hardly went to school. I hated it. Wrestling was my release. And in, in wrestling, I was able to kind of reinvent myself a little bit. And I would just move forward. And and the way I got my press pass and the way all of that stuff evolved was really interesting stuff. I, I you know, I had a big set, as McMahon used to call, grapefruits back then, <laughs> I guess. John, one thing I wanted to ask you about, because I really like in the beginning of the book how you describe and you talk with love about your family life oh, and how man. at times it could be difficult. Was it tough to include those details about your family or was it just kind of like the want to tell the truth of the story because I thought you did it in a very caring way but you really didn't hide anything no I tried to be transparent and of course you got to be mindful of those who will be affected by that story and those are my family members my dad and my mom and my grandma you know everyone Pat have been passed away for many many years including my oldest sister my younger sister is still with us and that was the person I was most concerned about, uh, about telling these stories. And she didn't really see it in the same way I did. You know, she didn't like me disclosing that my dad had worked, you know, in, in an organized crime situation, uh, aside from his running a, you know, a grocery store and working hard all the time and my mom being bipolar. So those are the things that she said, it's family, it should be kept close to the vest. And we just had differences of opinion regarding that. I mean, I, I felt that, you know, you only get one shot in your life if you're lucky to get a book about your life written. And I wanted to be as transparent as possible. So uh, I did what I felt I had to do. And one thing about your story is I think some of that early, like seeing how your dad was business wise, and maybe just that strife pushed you to be the successful person that you were. Because talking about this book, it's not just about one industry you broke into. You were in three different ones. Like, well, I, how did it feel to get a job with the Mets? Yeah, I mean, that is like your team. Yeah, all of that. I mean, with my family stuff, it was like, you know, as a youth, you know, all I wanted to do was kind of get out. 
I wanted to leave. And I and that's why I was very inward. And I'd kind of go in the basement of our home and listen to Beatles records or watch wrestling or watch the Mets. So my goal was that those were my passions in life, music, wrestling, baseball, not necessarily in that order. And I just felt in my life that I needed to do something that was passionate to me as far as a career. And I didn't know really what I wanted. I wanted the Mets. I wanted, you know, the wrestling stuff. So I just wonder about, you know, in my life path, just to go out there and try to do what I felt I was most passionate about at the time. And and I was lucky enough to be able to get some of those opportunities and some of those dreams that came true eventually. Well, the match story, I mean, if that you want to know that one in particular... Well, I just want to know how it felt to be such a fan of the team, because I look at it kind of like when I was reading the book, I almost read it like how some wrestlers, their dream is to get to the WWE. And then when they get there, it's almost different than they imagined. And that's kind of the feeling I got from the book. Like it was a sense of honor for you. But then, like, as it went on, it kind of seemed to be... Well, I, I went on to something else. I mean, I, I, I went to the baseball winter meetings on the suggestion of a friend I went to college with who'd gotten a job the year before in baseball, and I knew they had a job fair. So I just went out of curiosity to see if I could possibly talk to someone about a position in baseball. And then there was a job posting for the Mets in the minor leagues in a little town called Shelby, North Carolina. And I had to find the guy who ran that team because I wanted that job. And I couldn't find him initially. And then I called his hotel room, spoke to his wife, and after I gave her a little elevator pitch, he went and got her husband and we met and he hired me on the spot. And I went to Shelby, North Carolina. And that's where I realized that, all right, the dream is great, but this is the work. This is the 500 bucks a month you're going to get to work seven o'clock in the morning to 10 o'clock at night, doing everything from sales, marketing, selling promotional nights. I mean, our day started at seven in the morning with a sales meeting. We'd go out and cold call businesses all day to sell fence signs, sponsor nights, program ads. And then you'd have a dinner break at six to seven. And then seven to 10 at night, you'd go and solicit people out of the phone book to buy season tickets. And then you do the same thing the next day. And then when the team was coming to town, right, it's your responsibility to the house ball players, find housing for them. It's not like it is today where a lot of major league teams are now finding housing for the players. And then one night, uh, midseason, I went out to a bar to get a beer. And in the town I lived in, it was a dry county. So liquor was not available to be sold in a bar. There wasn't any bars. But you would have these private clubs where you'd buy a beer, a six-pack of beer. You'd bring it to the club. You'd check it in like your coat. And then you'd buy it back from the club owner. <laughs> Crazy. So they had a. Uh, I went with the GM of the club. And a band took the stage with a female singer who just knocked my socks off. I couldn't believe that this girl was in this little dive bar to say, you know, to, that's saying it nicely about the place. And just couldn't believe this girl was there singing. And and it was a girl named Patty Loveless who was doing rock and roll. And I just couldn't believe she was in that club. So I she was the house band. I'd go every weekend and I got to know her a little bit. And I quit my job with the Mets to manage her. She became an iconic figure in country music eventually. I managed her for on and off for four years. I didn't get her the record deal that elevated her to the top of the country charts, but she changed my life. <laughs> she changed my life. And I wrote extensively about it in the book. That's one thing. You always seem to go like when your passion's running out for something or you discover a passion for something else, you seem to like seamlessly 
not perfectly, you know, it's not that there's not ups and downs, but you flow right into that new commitment. And that's almost the story of your managing career that you seem to get is like, you're there at those early moments, but maybe not when they hit the top. Right. I, I, I am a good judge of talent. I, I know I, I, I have a knack of identifying talent, which I think is special. And I did that with Patty. I knew she was going to be a star. I didn't get her there, but I knew she was going to be a star. And then when I worked as a vice president for a record company here in Nashville, I found this kid at a pizza place named Kelsey Ballerini, who was just a kid who recognized me because I managed another artist. And she came up to me, introduced herself, and I invited her to sing for me in my office. And, and she blew me away and and she's one of the top artists throughout music today i you know i was instrumental in getting her her start but then i got fired by the record label because i was arguing on the behalf of another artist i managed that was also signed to the label so that was almost a bit of a conflict of interest so anyway yeah but you know i've opened the doors for a lot of people and that's why i was put here on this earth i'm happy with that role because when you identify talent and then you see them go to the top it really gives you a, a sense of satisfaction that uh, you were you were spot on when you identified that talent. What do you look for when identifying talent? Is there something that you can identify it as or is it? It's an indelible it factor. I mean, it, it's, it's an it factor. It's like, all right, there's something about this person that has star quality. It's the charisma. It's the voice. It's got to be the talent. It's got to have the voice. You got to have the, the charisma. And you got to look at how people react to them when they're performing. So when you can identify that, it's just kind of a gut feeling in, in more ways than one. It's kind of a gut feeling. And the last one I was able to do it for, because I had a uh, crowdfunding company here for emerging artists, and I was a judge for some talent competitions here in Nashville. And in the talent contest, there was a kid, uh, you know, a little wafy girl with a ukulele. And out of all these performers that were up there, she stood out to me for some reason. She just looked lost up there. She didn't fit in with the other singers and bands and groups. And, and the first time I, you know, when she picked up that ukulele and sang, I was like, this girl's a star. Mm. And the other judges didn't agree with me. So she didn't get elevated to winning the contest. But I gave her mother my business card. And I was like, when, because she was coming going to school in Tennessee. So when she gets into town, have her call me. And I met with her. She was an alternative artist, and now she's on Electra Records. Her name is Sarah Kays, S-A-R-A-K-A-Y-S, and she's kind of Billie Eilish in a way. But she's an incredible artist, and I identified her. Like I said, I didn't get her her record deal either, but I just knew it. And, you know, what I do for people to also, I put put that, you know, someone believes in me, Mm. you know, and maybe this person, you know, they're kind of, if they believe in me, maybe I believe in myself more. And uh, it's about just kind of mentoring in a lot of ways too. But I love that, you know, that Sarah Kays and Patty and Kelsey and even Sarah Darling, who's still out there doing it and big in the UK, who I managed for four years, that they're still having a very great career, all of them. And Patty's kind of retired now, uh, taking care of her husband in Georgia. But, But yeah, that's a satisfying feeling. That's one thing that came in through the book is when you got behind an artist, you were behind an artist. You went to bat for them. It almost felt like my jobs because of the, you know, because of Sarah Darling. I mean, I got fired because of the way I felt the label was not doing the right thing by her, you know, and that cost me because I was, you know, I was supposed to manage Kelsey. That was part of the plan. And then when I get fired from the label, that's the end of that, you know. 
of all the businesses you've worked in, which do you think has had the most headaches? Because I imagine it's got to be same headache, different business. <laughs> uh, headaches. I mean, it's all different. Misery is wrestling. Because you, you can't trust anyone in the business. Everyone works you. I don't like the business side of wrestling. And and um, I think that's why I, I never achieved national success in the pro wrestling business because I wasn't a worker. Yeah, that's so, true. I mean, that's that's kind of, I'm not a worker. I, I mean, I'm not somebody that's going to lie to everybody and then backstab them. And, you know, so that's that part of it. I'm curious. I'm, I'm thinking as we talk now and I go back, listen to it, because I can relate to this. You talk about being in school, not enjoying school and, you know, being that, you know, quiet kind of shy kid. Now you've spent, you know, your whole career, you're talking to people, you're talking on radio. Do you feel like this is a, almost like it's just a skill? What I'm asking is, you know, when you, when all this is turned off, is John still like, uh, I don't feel like talking to people today. I'm tired. Or does it change you? No, it, it doesn't. I mean, I never get tired of this talking yeah. about it. Uh, it. It's just, it's my life, you know? And I, I don't know if I'm, if there's something, you know, wrong with me, is, you know, mentally, because I don't mind talking about it and being transparent and kind of shooting. This is just the way I am. I've always kind of been this way. I just kind of shoot straight from the hip and, and that's, kind of what i do and and uh, i don't take shit from anybody i mean years ago i did mm. i could sniff it out now in an instant if someone's trying to work me or or get over on me or and i'm still fascinated and i'm still uh i'm still quite observant of the characters that are in wrestling and the people that you got to deal with and i keep coming back to wrestling and then i leave it and i come back and i leave it because i you can only take so much of it and then you and then, you know, to save your sanity, you got to get out of it uh, because it could tear you down. Yeah. And it, te it teared me down in the 90s, in the 70s. When I when I left in 80, when I after I wrestled Dusty Rhodes and I kind of jobbed my way out of a photographer's gig and then I left to pursue my career. I mean, that was fine. But the 90s did a number on me, you know, with the Russo stuff and. Yeah. And uh, all of the stuff I went through with the Jake the Snakes and uh, that whole business just destroyed me. And now it's I'm a historian, so I do the podcasting. And I did have issues, you know, I got canned by Brian Last because they talked to T Conrad Thompson. So I mean, that's you know that was so bizarre. I still can't believe it happened. But it's like I don't give a shit anymore. You get to drop my show because I'm talking to a dude about maybe doing some video stuff with him with my archives. Go ahead. Even though I loved the chemistry with Brian and we had a great podcast, I was like, it's just insane. So drop it. What am I going to do? And that's when I actually first became a fan of yours because I heard you on the Arcadian Vanguard Network. And it's just, I think it's your personality and your honesty that just pulled me in. But I also really like the format of your podcast where you play some of the old radio shows. Yeah and then talk about it. We're jumping all around here, but is that yeah, kind are. of always how you wanted to do a podcast, being I, I, like referential to your shows? Well, I didn't, you know, I want, I knew I had all the shows saved. And when I, you know, started talking to Brian, because I do some of uh, the 605, he'd call me up uh, about to talk about this topic or that. And once I, you know, got back on social media and kind of was dipping my toe back in, I reached out to Brian. I was like, I think, you know, we could do a podcast here if you're interested. And he's the one that put together the format. He and his team, Lou Kippelman and Jace Nacarado. I mean, they're just incredible people. And Brian is just smart. 
I mean, Brian is a great host. And those other guys love the show and they love working with the show. So I miss I miss that chemistry with Brian. And I, you know, and and then you get the rub from Cornette because Brian would play clips and there was always some newsworthy stuff. And and I was able to get on the Cornette show and that increased the audience and the followers on Twitter and everything else. And now the show is kind of different because I do it with another historian named Bob Smith. It doesn't have the sizzle that the original Pro Wrestling Spotlight then and now did. We still review it, but it, it's a different dynamic. So, um, you know, it is what it is. I'm looking to kind of shake it up a little now and and maybe add a video element to it or just kind of, you know, just, just kind of a, shake it up a little right now. And that will probably be uh, unfolding over the next uh, few weeks. I have another two and a half years to go of shows to cover which takes you into 1995 and then when that's over then it's then that's it then i'm done wow yeah and that's one thing it's i've said it earlier but you've just always been adaptable when a situation is presented to you you find a way to work around it and that's been really an amazing part of like is that something you have to do in life to stay relevant is to just be adaptable and keep pushing forward yeah it's uh you know at this point it's like I'm doing it because I enjoy it. So whether it's adaptable or not, will people dig it or not? I mean, that that I have enough people listening to the podcast in its current state and Patreon members and all of that. It's something I enjoy. If I stop enjoying it, then I'm going to get out of it. You know, if next week or next month or next year, I'm like, you know what? I'm tired of this. And then I'm done because I'm, you know, the show is going to evolve into now some of the things that I I went through. 30 years ago or 28 years ago from 1994, 95, it was, it was not easy. So, I mean, and I, when I listen to these shows and I haven't heard them all in 30 years until I upload them and I'm like, man, that's right. I went through that. It's mm-hmm. almost like you you forget the shit you went through years ago and, and now I'm reliving it. So whether it's a good thing or a bad thing, I don't know, but sometimes I cringe because I know, wow, I remember when that week happened and I was dealing with this stuff off air so it's an interesting thing it's 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 very unique yeah. for you to have your life rewind you know like third what happened 30 years ago and and every week you're reliving your life from 30 years ago it's like a time machine especially if you haven't listened to this stuff in 30 years it's the first time so that'd be a very very interesting perspective yeah almost therapeutic in some ways right <laughs> it is it is therapeutic yeah. in some ways i really find it that way and it's almost like I'm being psychoanalyzed every week when I listen to the show. And then, uh, you know, you have a different perspective when you're 30 years older. But it's it's still interesting to me if it's not if it gets to be a where it's like too painful or whatever. Then I'm like, all right, I've been, I might as well get out of this. Yeah. So far, it's good. You know, <laughs> and that's good. one thing we found with podcasting is sometimes you need to shake it up because you can have a format. You can go right. forward with it. But sometimes you have to make it interesting for yourself so it's right. still fun to do. Right. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. I, <laughs> I think that I need to put a little bit more fun into the current version of the spotlight. And, and you know, we because now I'm back at WNYG. If anyone follows what I do, I went from WNYG, a little shitty station, to a little bigger station, to EBD with Russo. And now, you know, I lost it all. Now I'm back at that little shitty station with one phone line. And the thing is, when Brian did the show, it was like he'd play some of the the shitty commercials and some of the crazy callers that were calling. It was like some of these little nuances that really made you laugh. 
And so I want to try to get back to that a little bit and, and, and start putting a little bit more fun into it. Nice that we will definitely be listening. So getting back to the wrestling a little bit, what is something about wrestling that fans today will never understand about wrestling in the sixties and seventies? Cause like I have such an interest in that historical wrestling. I pick up almost any wrestling history book that I can get, but what do you think is something that's been lost on newer fans? The suspension of disbelief more than anything else. When you could, when you, people thought it was real, and even if he even had that little sense of doubt that it wasn't, you put yourself into the suspension of disbelief mode and the heat of the crowds at the Garden and Boston Garden and Philly and and just the incredible way that the performers were and the wrestlers were. Kayfabe. I mean, there's none of that anymore. And I don't know if I had a part of breaking kayfabe when I started Pro Wrestling Spotlight all those years ago, but that's what the fans are missing today. They don't understand that... This was at one time a entertainment platform that people believed was real. Now, of course, you don't. No one believes it's real. No. So that's what it's that's what it's missing. Even if the business was built on deception by trying to work people and thinking it was real, it was much more exciting and you could sink into a storyline and when there was a heel turn, it meant something. And when there was a storyline like Bruno San Martino against Spiro Sarion that ran and sold out Madison Square Garden for four months in a row, that was the stuff that you don't see today. And it'll never come back. But, uh, you know, the business, it's, it's evolution, too. I mean, uh, the people the, the people finding wrestling and being a fan of wrestling today would not understand. But that is evolution. The business evolved to where it is. Yeah. Today. Do you think. Do you think the scandals of the 90s did anything to hurt that suspension of disbelief? Well, I think what hurt it more than anything else was, was Vince McMahon going to the State Athletic Commission of New Jersey and saying this was all predetermined. So he didn't have to pay the taxes anymore and didn't have to be under their jurisdiction. But the scandals, what the scandals did was hurt the business when the parents were like, well, there's a sex scandal and what this ain't good for my kids to watch or go to a show. So, I mean, those scandals hurt the business with people looking at it as a kind of a dirty business. And it lost significant amount of live attendance and TV ratings back then. I wanted to talk about that kayfabe thing because I noticed that during the COVID era, basically when they had the empty arena matches and everything. And I remember watching a UFC event with some friends and thinking, wow, this is way more entertaining because I've been invested in a winner or a loser. Whereas as an older fan now who still keeps up with it, it's like, I don't have that in pro wrestling. Like, I'm looking for a show here. And, you know, the show has kind of been, it's like, oh, here it is. Yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right. I mean, that COVID, uh, you know, those empty arenas was just uh, was horrific. Yeah. I mean, you know, it, it was just like, you could tell that, you know, the performers were like, mm -hmm. they were just going through the motions. I mean, if you right. can't feed off the crowd, you're screwed. There was like maybe one or two, and they really stuck out too. That was the one thing I remember. Was like, oh, I think it was one. Uh, it was Bailey. She like played off the commentator. She realized, oh, I can hear Michael Cole, and she started interacting with him. And I said, well, that's smart. There's yeah, somebody who figured something out and doing something different. And those people stuck out more. But like for the most part, yeah, it really put a spotlight on you know. Yeah, it was uh, really interesting to see that at the time. And boy, I hope we don't have to we ever go back to those days. Hopefully not. No, definitely not. Now, you, before we get into talking about the book, I couldn't go away from this without asking about Vince McMahon. 
I'm not asking for any dirt, but you had the unique chance to be on his bad side. What was it like to interact with Vince? And another part of the question, how do you think the business will be after him? Vince McMahon is um, one of the most unique individuals I've ever encountered. And uh, I first met him in the 70s, you know, when I was covering the matches and I backstage at Madison Square Garden. And, you know, I got to know him a little bit and I'd shoot photographs for him, you know, for the garden program. Uh, you know, I'd bring a little contact sheet. And he said, I like this one. I like this one. And, you know, then I give him the pictures. And then he would ask me because I was up in New England and he was promoting in New England. Can you go and, you know, shoot some pictures of the of the of the preliminary guys, he would say, you know, they need a little love, you know, like and then I'd go to a little place in uh, Massachusetts and shoot dressing room shots of a lot of the guys that didn't really win matches, you know? Uh, and then, um, you know, basically getting on his bad side was uh, never intended by me. It was when I started pro wrestling spotlight in 1989. And, and my second guest on my second show was Bruno San Martino, who was my idol. And I was able to get him to, and taped an interview uh, for the show. And then he started saying all of these things about, Vince and the W what was going on behind the scenes. And I'm like, holy smokes. I mean, and then I called the WWF and I spoke to their PR person and I said, listen, I'm going to, I interviewed Bruno because they were, they were going to cooperate with me and give me guests and all that. And I said, he didn't really say a lot of nice things about you guys. And oh, well, you're not going to air that. Are you? I was like, well, I think I have to, you know, and if you air that, then, you know, you're done with us. And, and that was on my second show. And then basically, you know, when the steroid stuff started, when Billy Graham came on my show in March of 1990 and talked about how steroids ruined his life and uh, and, and all of these things. And then it was kind of like when the Zaharian trial was when I broke that story on Pro Wrestling Spotlight. I mean, that was kind of that was kind of like another step in the wrong direction when it comes to a relationship with Vince. But what really severed it was when he uh, did a press conference at the Plaza Hotel after the Zaharian trial to announce a steroid policy, and they didn't invite wrestling media there. And I had to sneak in under an assumed name, and I confronted him in front of the reporters. And then he denied, oh, I didn't know wrestling people weren't invited. And, and, and then, you know, Phil Muchnick from the New York Post wrote about it. And when Phil Muchnick got involved, that was it. I mean, I was accused of feeding much Nick stuff, and uh, which not was not the case. But then I became, you know, maybe public enemy number two because much Nick became public enemy number one. And then the Donahue show, and you know, I, I caught him in a lie. Well, I didn't. Well, Meltzer did. I mean, it was just kind of like about Arsenio Hall show. I went to Vince, and I was like, "Didn't you say you were devastated when you found out that Hulk Hogan said what he said on Arsenio?" Oh, I never said I was devastated. And Meltzer said, yeah, you told me that, you know, so and, and Vince thought that we set him up, which was not the case, you know. So anyway, that's the way it was. I and mean, but Vince has always, you know, made amends with people from Bruno San Martino bringing, you know, with him and Triple H bringing Bruno to be in, inducted in the hall and Billy Graham back and forth. And it was always what's good for business. With me, I was just a little, you know, I was a peon. I was nothing. But, uh, you know, I disrupted I disrupted his business. And he, I don't think, uh, I haven't talked to Vince McMahon in 
night since the nineties. So I, I assume that that uh, that animosity would still exist on his part. Yeah. How different do you think the business is going to be now after Vince? Because I am personally very excited about it because wrestling has been one way my entire life, and yeah. I've always preferred something other than WWE when I want a real good wrestling product. WWE is always going to be like a warm bowl of soup. It's comfort food. Yeah. But like, it's never like the top thing I like. Yeah, I'm optimistic about it. I'm optimistic about the direction uh, of Triple H. Uh, you know, obviously he's, uh, you know, he's putting more and more of his ideas in and they're saying wrestling again. And I mean, there's a lot of little things that are happening on a week to week basis. And I, I really am optimistic about where that company is headed before it gets sold, because it's going to get sold. Mm. And what happens after that is going to be another interesting thing to watch. Uh, happen but i just wish that they you know and they're starting to i mean the sense of history i don't think there's enough of the sense of where they came from and how they got there and honoring the legends that were preceded by the stars of today i mean they have to do more of that i don't know if people care but i think there should be much more in relation to the history and they have peacock and they have that streaming network there's not enough history on there that goes back to the 70s and the 80s and and how the business evolved into where it got to today so i hope that that's a change that they execute and i want to see the creative direction of what's going to happen with today's performers i think uh, you know the jury's out but i i'm optimistic about what i see yeah I think I uh, had heard somebody, I think it was Eric Bischoff said that, and he, and he was a guy who said, I, I always liked working with Vince. I respected Vince. He said, but I think the creative process will flourish because you have to understood the creative process revolved around one man who had a very unique personality work ethic who called you at 2 a.m. and you better knew about this little minute storyline. <laughs> so it's like, it's got to be damn near impossible to, you know. Well, yeah, eat. the nuances of taking people's names away and turning mm -hmm. a guy into, you know, it's like, he was he had to go right he was in there you know he was yeah. an old guy and and that's it it's over you know your ideas are not valid anymore they don't make sense anymore they're, they're you know he had to go <laughs> and unfortunately for him he he got pushed out but maybe that's what was necessary to make the business go forward i mean he you know he he got himself in a lot of trouble and he had to go. So now he's gone. So, uh, or is he really, you know, who knows? But I think that, I, I don't think that Vince McMahon, seeing a picture of him recently with a birthday party with Cena, he looked horrible. So this was his life. This was 24 7, 365 for decades. When you yank that away from somebody who uh, thought he was Teflon, who thought he was invincible, who thought no one could get to him, and he was the king, when you take that away from somebody, what happens to them yeah. mentally, physically, personally? How long do you last? You know, interesting stuff. Yeah, especially when your driving force is taken away. Now, speaking of driving force, we are excited to have you here because of your book, Matt Memories. When did you decide to write a book and what inspired you to? Well, I always had the idea of a book in the back of my head after all the things that I was doing in my life and career. And and when I got back into wrestling, when I dipped my toe back in 2018, I thought maybe there is a book here. And I heard uh, so much about ECW Press uh, that they published a lot of great wrestling books. And I, I reached out to Michael Holmes, who was the executive editor there. And he ironically, he answered my call right away. And he goes, this is so ironic. I was just watching a video with you and Vince Russo on YouTube, you know, because Vince <laughs> Russo and I had that, you know, that heart to heart 
And he goes, yeah, I know who you are. And, and he goes, I would be interested in hearing more. And I sent him a little synopsis. And then he was like, you know, you need a writer to work with you. And that's how it happened. He said, here's, you know, Greg Oliver is one guy. Uh, Scott Teal is another guy. If you can get one of those two guys to write the book with you, I'll give you a book deal. Scott was kind of busy. And I talked to both Scott and Greg at the Cauliflower Alley Club. It was the first time I'd gone there. And I, and that was in 2019. And, and, and after I, I talked to Greg Oliver, and he goes, I don't want to do another wrestling book, really. And, but when he found out about what else I did, the baseball, the music, he goes, I like this. And so I got, a, I got the book deal. So that's how that happened. So it was kind of like serendipitous. It was kind of like it happened pretty quick. I didn't really shop it around other than to one publisher. How long was the process from the idea of writing a book to getting it out there? Uh, it started once I uh, negotiated the deal. And I think the deal was signed in July of 2019. Then the process started. Greg and I would talk on the phone three, four times a week. And I'd tell him my stories and my life. And then, you know, we'd go back and forth on chapters. And so and then Greg visited here uh, in February 2020, right before pandemic to sit with me and interview Sarah Darling and, and do a little background stuff on me here in the music business. And and then the book was done by the summer of 2020. And then it was published in April of 2021. So it was a very easy process for me. Although, you know, you self-disclose and you tell your stories and you're, you know, you're hoping that the public will react positively to what you have to say. You had your book pretty much wrapped up by the pandemic or. I would say it was done and completed and turned into the editors uh, at ECW Press by uh, summer. Yeah. Of 2020. I know we're talking to Brian Solomon. He said that in a weird way with the pandemic actually helped him with writing because he had not as much to do. So all he could do was just focus on his book. Yeah. That's happened to me too. Cause I had a, uh, I had a, a company that I had formed with a, a friend of mine in New York called Bantwango it was a crowdfunding company for country music artists. And once the pandemic hit, it was over. I mean, it was done because we were helping fund tours and help recording, you know, it was over. I, I mean, that business just went out and under quick. So yeah. It was a good time to concentrate on finishing the book. One thing I really noticed that I liked about your book is the way you wrote about certain relationships, like your care for Patty Loveless really showed through in the book. Your admiration for your nephew, Dominic, and how close that bond is. Those were things that really got me into the book. Obviously, your story is fascinating, but the way that your important relationships are portrayed, it was very heartwarming. And I think anybody that picks up the book will instantly be pulled in by that. Well, thank you. I mean, yeah, my nephew is, uh, I never had been fortunate enough to have kids of my own. So my nephew was almost like my son uh, and still is to this day, even though he's got a great dad and, you know, obviously my sister, a great mom. And, but yeah, for him, for me to have that bond with him at such an early age, you know, when he was just a toddler, you know, and I'd throw Mr. Met dolls into his crib. And while his father was a diehard Yankee fan, so I got him, I gave him the Mets curse pretty early on. But we were able to do things and, and be buddies. And, uh, you know, before we end this, and we get, actually get to work together on something, which is really good. My nephew and I, I on a new uh, project that I start next week. But yeah, and the Patty stuff, I mean, that was the most, that was the hardest thing for me to write about because, you know, she was the love of my life, really. You know, I fell in love with a girl who was married, uh, not to a nice guy, but she was still married. Mm. And that was the heartbreak of my 65 years was Patty Loveless. So, yeah, it was not easy to write about it. 
but I had to. Yeah, that's incredible. I'm just curious for me because some of the stuff you're saying really resonates with me personally. Like some of you, some of the traits. Do you find like you're ex- and again, I haven't read the book yet. Joe has. Like you're just extremely loyal to these people who take care of you. Like I know some people like I'm loyal to a fault. Like I will go out of my way for the core people who help get me to where I where I am. Absolutely. I mean, if someone's going to open a door for you or be there for you, you have, you you know, for me, that's that's lifetime. Mm -hmm. There's nothing that's ever going to, you know, stop that loyalty towards somebody that you have a relationship with who's helped you, who's been there for you. So, yeah, those people are few and far between. But, yeah, once you're loyal like that, there's no ending that loyalty. It's for life, as they say in the the NWL. (laughs) You've been very gracious to give us some of your time. I got one last question for you before we jump into the plugs and everything at the end. What would you say has been the biggest accomplishment of your career? Wow. goes back to so many things. That's one thing you have to get the book to see how much this guy has done. Like (laughs) it's jam packed with stories, jam packed with experiences. And some people barely get to live one life. And I feel like you've lived almost three being able to do these three different things. Well, I think personally on, you know, if you're saying what's your biggest accomplishment and I think what I'm proudest, most proudest of is I was able to help my family when they needed it is to give my nephew experiences that may have spoiled him, but he calls me uncle genie. He calls to this day and he's, 25 now he calls me hey genie how you doing he said because i granted wishes like a genie and he said that to me when he was like three or four years old Mm. so i mean that's the thing that i'm most proudest of is the is my family and uh, the opportunity to help them when they needed it and to give my nephew these experiences that are really will be remembered forever from going to baseball all-star games to the World Series to meeting celebrities. I mean, there's a kid that's hanging out with Taylor Swift when he, <laughs> you know, so he, yeah, so that was kind of the, the fun part of it. But wrestling accomplishments, Weekend of Champions, Ric Flair, Buddy Rogers, everybody at that one convention, bringing AAA to the United States with Ron Scholar, 93. That was a big accomplishment on the wrestling side of it. On the music side of it, obviously discovering Patty Loveless, uh, you know, not getting her a deal, but helping Kelsey Ballerini. Open the doors for her. Uh, those those are great accomplishments. Baseball that's still to come, and that starts Monday. You know, my book. I wanted to actually call the book. I should have stayed in baseball because that was kind of like I had a cup of coffee in it, as they say. But that was the best tasting cup of all. That was the ending of my book. But relationships are key things. So when we close this thing out today, I mean, I had a roommate at the Shelby Mets named John Gibbons. John Gibbons was a first round draft pick in 1980 with Daryl Strawberry and a few others. And uh, I was fortunate enough to share a house with him in Shelby, North Carolina, with J.P. Richardi, who went on to be the GM of the Toronto Blue Jays many years later. And J.P. hired John to manage the Toronto Blue Jays twice, once, and then John got rehired. But John and I maintained a friendship over 40 years. I helped John's daughter, who was uh, wanting to break into country music here in Nashville, open some doors for her, but we maintained a friendship. A few years ago, I had talked to John about him writing a book. I said, John, you should do a book. Well, who's going to want to read a book about me? You know, he's a very humble guy from Texas, you know. And, and he says, some sports writers up in Toronto said they'd write a book with me. And yeah, I don't want to, you know, I don't, I don't, I'm not interested. But, you know, lo and behold, last year, I called him. Yeah, how you doing, John? I'm planting trees in my yard. I'm not really doing much of anything. I said, maybe you should do that book. And he goes, you know what? Maybe maybe I should. And so I got him a book deal with ECW Press out of Toronto. You know, he's beloved up there. 
so Greg Oliver got assigned the book, which was great too. So then we started talking about doing some other things together. And before you know it, I'm representing John Gibbons. And John always negotiated everything for himself. But then we had an idea to do a podcast mm. because John is a straight shooter and he's an icon, right? Up in Canada. And he wants to eventually manage a team again. And I think he will get that opportunity. So this coming Tuesday, the Gibby Show debuts. We have an executive pr- producer we hired at a, at a, who used to work at TSN in Canada for 30 years. It's going to be incredible. We're going to talk baseball every week. And our first guest, because John's got enormous relationships in, in baseball, our first guest is Josh Donaldson, who John managed in Toronto, wow. who's a New York Yankee now. And, you know, on this show, I mean, each week we're going to have guys like Braun Strowman, Albert Pujol. I mean, big names. So I, I have very high hopes for this podcast. And it gets me back in baseball, which is full circle moment mm. for me. And who knows what's going to happen next? You know, we have sponsors that are interested in jumping aboard already. We started John's social media recently and it blew up. His Twitter following is like 35,000 in less than two weeks. Wow. Uh, the engagement on it is crazy. It's at John Gibbons 05. We're still trying to get the blue check, but that'll come. But yeah, John took it took to it like a duck to water. And now we have this incredible opportunity and it'll be on all podcast platforms and we'll have a YouTube show too. So each week, the Gibby show on YouTube will uh, have the show with highlights and graphics and animation. And so, yeah, I'm looking forward to that probably more than anything I've done in a very long time to get back into baseball with my old roommate, John Gibbons, skipper, former skipper of the Blue Jays. Congratulations. Awesome. Thank you. It's going to be fun. That's exciting. We will help promote that when we start seeing the links go out. It'll be a shoot show, too. (laughs) (laughs) And John doesn't hold anything back. So, you know, it's going to be interesting because Gibby can can say some things. (laughs) He ain't afraid. He's old school. Let's put it that way. Nice. I can't wait to hear it. So thank you for joining us today. Is there anything else you'd like to promote before we let you go? Uh, My Patreon page, if people want, you know, really rare content from eight millimeter films I shot, Andre the Giant's first match at Madison Square Garden and photographs and audio and video. It's patreon.com slash John Arezzi. The podcast is out there. Pro Wrestling Spot, John Arezzi's Pro Wrestling Spotlight. I'm at Twitter at John Arizzi, Instagram at John Arizzi. And that's, those are the plugs. And buy the book, man. It's on Amazon, Matt Memories. Just please, if you like an autographed copy of it, I'll be more than happy to sign a number one for you. And that email is uh, john at mattmemories.com. Very nice. That's the way I got my book. I had to email you and get it signed because I'm always, when somebody comes out for a book, I'm a sucker for getting that signed copy. So thank you for the book. And thank you got you a number in yours? Yes, I do. Let me go. What's your number? One forty nine out of two fifty. So I got in there. Ah, you did fairly get in there, right? Because we're we're you know now that's it. There's no more of those. You know. So. Oh wow! Well, thank <laughs> you very much for joining us today, and we will thank talk you to you again hopefully later. All right. So that wraps us up for this week. Thank you again for listening to the Working Fans Podcast. So as always, you can find us on Twitter at Fans Working. Our Facebook page is Working Fans Wrestling Pod. We have email where you can reach out to us and let us know what you think. Also. That's workingfanswrestlingpod at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram, workingfanswrestling underscore pod. And then, as always, please continue to listen to us on anchor.fm, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Breaker, Overcast, Pocket Cast, Radio Public, all your major platforms. 
If you're following us on Apple Podcasts, which we are also on now, and YouTube, please make sure you subscribe and give us a five-star rating. It helps us bring you these podcasts where we get to talk to you and talk with you every week. 